The six over here, something we very much are in favor of as well. Uh, also, beginning on September the 7th, that's two weeks from today, we're starting with uh, two services, 8 o'clock and 10, uh, 10.30 with Bible class from 9.30 to 10.15. So uh, make, if you come to the late service and you, you come in at, uh, showing up for Bible class at 9, you're early. Uh, but so be, be sure and make, make, put that in your mind, make, make you aware of that. As, as Mike has been saying, make plans to attend one service and to also and to serve in the other service. There would be a lot going on. Uh, we also want to uh, recognize that uh, this is time to sign up for some teachers. Uh, if you see in the back lot, you probably saw there would be a place to sign up in our children's ministry. Uh, see Lindy and that crew back there, a huge, beautiful display that they've got in different ways and areas that we need you to serve as well. We'd also like to recognize uh, Miss Betty Dawson. Where you at there, Betty? She didn't uh, I snuck the information from her, so she didn't know I was doing this. Stand up there for a second there, Betty. Betty, this is Betty's last, uh, probably her last Sunday with us, and she's been a member here since 1966. And uh, that was before I was born, Betty. And um, so, 48 years, and she's also got a birthday this week. Moving over to Minden uh, to. Uh, uh, live with some family over there. Thank you so much. Betty used to work with us on staff here in our accounting department for a long time. Um, I, I think I paid a lot of library fines to you at some point. I know I got a lot of support checks from you at the School of Preaching. So uh, thank you so much for your service and, and everything you've done for us here. And the best is yet to come in Minden, we hope. Uh, at this time, we'd like to ask young Mr. Bryson Fulford to bring your family on up as we honor you today with a blessing. About a third of the auditorium is emptying out now. It's Ryan and Eric to bring our family up here. We've been doing these for almost 20 years. I've never had the privilege to do one. I told Ryan a few minutes ago, I hope uh, I did this right. God tells us that uh, children are blessings from the Lord, and they truly are. And you had your first communion, I hope. God tells us that a man with his children is like quivers, his arrows in a quiver. And uh, I know that's going to be a blessing to you. We've known Ryan and Eric, I've known Ryan and Eric for uh, just a couple of years. 
God will continue to work in your lives and work in his life as he becomes a mighty man of God. Let's pray. Father God, I'm honored to stand up here with Ryan and Erica and Bryson and all of their family. We are all honored, Father, to bless this precious baby. And we do bless him, Father. We bless him with uh, the strength of your word, the power of your spirit. And as Ryan and Erica pour into Bryson, Father, I just pray that he learns how to be a man of integrity and a man to be a great warrior of God. Thank you so much, Father, for these two and now these three as they've created a family. And Father, I just pray that you continue to bless them as little Bryson grows. And I pray, Father, that uh, as they become more and more involved with their forever family, I pray that they continue to be a great blessing to us. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you so much, especially for your son, Jesus Christ. And we bless this family, Father, and we love them. And bless little Bryson in Jesus' name. Amen. May blessings be upon you, precious baby.
thank you for smiling faces, warm handshakes, loving hugs, and just words that inspire and encourage us that, uh, that, that make us feel like we belong here. And thank you for our frontline people that are there, that are here every Sunday, early, 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 getting the cards ready, getting the pens ready, and, and no one slipping through a door without saying, welcome, we're glad you're here. Thank you for this crew that has made us uh, the church we want to be. Uh, your light and salt in this world, welcoming, warming, inviting uh, to make people belong. Thank you for making it easier, as, as Paul said earlier this week, making, making our, the rest of our jobs easier here uh, because they've already broken the ice. Uh, thank you for Mac and Irma and their years, many years of service, of, of warmly greeting and graciously hosting people in our, in our building here. Uh, thank you for their leadership and their putting together such a great team. And as they uh, continue to work in this area, bless them uh, with energy and the vitality that they, that they, that they so want to have. Uh, for Jim and Maurice, as they take the reins of this ministry, uh, I pray that uh, you use them to continue to bless and, and open our doors in, in greater ways. And we give you the glory for everything, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. I traveled in my younger years to several hundred churches. I'm sure that Phil has traveled to more of them. But this uh, group that greets our people here is the best I've ever seen anywhere. Okay. 
difícil. start with all the ladies so ladies sing out
comfort me and love me like you do. Who could ever be more faithful, true? I will trust in you. I will trust in
September 14th will be our Missions Sunday. And uh, on that day, all the contributions given that day will go directly to our mission work. We do this once a year. Uh, and I love it because when we can raise enough money that one day to take care of our efforts, uh, you know, I've heard of these churches where money gets tough and all of a sudden the first thing goes is their missionary, which I hope here was always the last thing to go. Those guys that are out on the field doing so, so much good for the Lord and out there on front lines in so many ways. Uh, today as we take communion, we're doing so not only with people in this room, but with our brothers and sisters in those mission efforts in areas around the world. One of those in particular that uh, I want us to bring our mind to is our brother Isaac Day. Isaac is in Liberia, and uh, Isaac has uh, suffered many, many hardships working there, uh, especially right now as they fight uh, this terrible disease of a uh, e Ebola that it's taken many lives and it's also put a lot of uh, chaos in the cities because people aren't getting out they aren't fellowshipping they're hoarding food they're uh, holding back things and so it's be become now just physically tough to live there uh, as and it was already tough enough as it was and so they're really suffering some hardship we're sending Isaac some uh, extra aid at this time uh, through our relief ministry and our mission effort. And, uh, but I want to, as we take this first part of the communion, I want you not only to think about one another that we do, and un unfortunately the way this Western American church is, you know, we take communion looking at the back of someone's head, which is very unfortunate because in New Testament times it was much more of a common gathering around a table type thing. But I want you to also imagine that you're around a table with these brothers and sisters. Uh, halfway around the world because you are and uh, we depend on them and they depend on us and so uh, let's let's pray father we love you as we take communion together we know that we're not only remembering that great story of the death burn resurrection of your son and what it means to our hearts but we're remembering father our brothers and sisters around the world especially Isaac and his family and his church as they're sharing the same good news to their community that's suffering a lot of hardship, a community that needs hope. And so, I, Father, I, I pray for them and the brothers around the world that are in tough situations. And so as we are reminded as we break bread that, that not only we remember your body, the body of your son, but we remember the body of Christ around the world as we commune together. Thank you, Father, for the hope that we have in Jesus that we can share this time in his name. Amen.
another one of the brothers that we've supported for many, many years is our brother Prudential Rodriguez. Prudential's been battling bad health uh, problems over the last several years, but still gets up and preaches and teaches every Sunday and is out reaching people for the Lord. And uh, Prudential, uh, he stands about this time, makes me feel like a tall person. He stands about right here. And uh, when I was down there visiting one time, we went out walking uh, around a track early one morning with his daughter and just visiting and praying and seeing his, his zeal and commitment. I, I, I'll never forget one night I preached, and afterwards we kind of had the invitation. Of course, I'm thinking it's kind of over. Prudencio gets up, and then he goes to continuing the invitation and finally even looked at one person. I, I'm, I'm assuming he knew him because he said, I know you've been thinking about obeying the gospel. And you, you probably need to, I mean, he's just like pointing about the audience. I'm like, this guy's pretty bold, you know. I've never met a preacher in the Dominican that did not know of Prudencio. He has trained so many other preachers to be preaching and teaching. And so uh, as we continue our communion time and are thankful for the blood that unites us all, we have, we have the uh, spiritual DNA, you see together with Prudencio and all the brothers in the Dominican. Uh, uh, so I want you to remember that part of our church family uh, too as we uh, take communion today together. Father, we love you. We are grateful for the blood, for there's no forgiveness without it. Thankful, Father, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die for our sins. And Father, for that hope that we have because of his resurrection, we celebrate and we commune together and we're thankful that we can eat and drink together as a church family along with Prudential and his family, celebrating your son, and we'll do it till you bust the clouds open and come again. Father, we are uh, honored as messed up human beings still to be able to be pure people only because of the blood. Thank you, Father for what we share together. In Jesus' name, amen.
another work that uh, we help is the uh, Baxter Institute in Honduras where Stephen and Diana Teal uh, serve. And, uh, you know, Diana worked with us for many, many years in World Radio, uh, did a great job in serving the kingdom there as Stephen preached uh, across the river. And uh, now they're uh, back on the mission field and uh, I've just uh, done a great job of training men to, to preach and teach, and so we appreciate their work so very, very much. You know, uh, I hadn't written a, I hadn't written a check in a long time. A lot of people don't write checks much anymore. It's not because I'm so modern. It's because Susan has the checkbook. <laughs> so she keeps me in line on that. But I know that there are many people who give a lot of different ways here. Some give some give cash. Some write a check. Some give at our kiosks at the back. You can also now give online and uh, help us in it. And whether it's a local contribution or whether you're giving ahead of time for our missions day. All that is available and uh, uh, sometime we'll have to get Zach or some of the technology guys to throw it on the screen and show you how to go through that process for all of us that are a little bit, you know, don't do that as much. But uh, it is, uh, I love the fact, I never want to get away from the, the, from the, that you can just be moved and want to give on the spot. You know, there's something about allowing your heart to be moved and just say, I want to help make that happen. That's a very, very good thing. And mission work is kind of like that a lot of times. I sat through a lot of, in years past, through boring mission reports, you know, about people that I never remember and seeing stats and that kind of thing. But all of a sudden when you see and meet and talk to people in the flesh, that's a difference. How, how, many, have, how many here have been on one of, uh, or any mission trip outside of the country here? Would you raise your hand? Look around you. It's a pretty good group of folks, all right? Thank you for being willing to go. You, you know what it's like, and, uh, uh, and you know how much encouragement it is for those that are on the field to have someone come and stand along beside them, whether it's building houses like our group just did recently or other efforts. Those things um, really make a difference in people. And, boy, uh, uh, a little bit of money goes a long way in helping our mission efforts. Well, same thing in our local contribution, too. We have folks walking these doors every day that need help, and, and uh, whether it's benevolence or whether it's uh, other ministries here, I'm thankful for your giving. I appreciate your uh, uh, unselfishness as you share what God's given you to help keep things going on for the kingdom. Father, we love you. We have been so truly blessed in this country. We're thankful. Uh, Father, we want to give money. Uh, money that can be used to uh, keep the work going on in our, in our, just in our town here. Money that can be used to go around the world. And money that you can multiply uh, that will be more useful than we can ever imagine. And so I pray, Father, for our church to always have unselfish hearts. And that we will learn what you desire of us in our giving. And that, Father, we'll always uh, grow and mature in, uh, in what we give to you toward the kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen.
So at this time, we're going to dismiss all of our kids. Every uh, class is meeting this morning. So while we're dismissing them, why don't you go ahead and stand up, let them out. And uh, while we're doing that, go ahead and say hello to a neighbor, and we'll get started again.
morning church we're continuing in our Jonah sermon series this morning but before we get started I want to remind you guys and we're trying to cast this vision with y'all because it's really important we every time I, 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 I think about how incredible things are going I think of all the complexity involved with things growing we're going and growing and those are two really good phenomenons to be happening at a church so I want to ask this, we're going we're gonna to roll out a second service starting in September. I'm curious by a show of hands to see how many are considering attending our early service at about 8.30, 8, 8.30. Alright, good. How many, how many wanting to stick with the regular service? These are guys like me after 10 o'clock, man, I need that extra hour. It really, I feel like it really does make a difference. There are 168 hours in a week, and there are times where that one hour really does seem to make a significant difference. You at 10.30, guys, let me get an amen, huh? All right. What, we are going to wrap up our series on Jonah. I do hope you'll be planning accordingly uh, for the transition going on September 7th with two services. Today we're going to be wrapping up our series in the book of Jonah. I'm going to be speaking from Jonah chapter 4 and this is a chapter where Jonah really I feel like fails God. 
What were you doing on July 23rd of 2011? What were you doing July 23rd of 2011? Probably you don't know because probably to you that's just some other day on the calendar. Man, Trent, I can't even remember last week, let alone a couple of years back, some day in July. Come on, man. Lisa Worley could describe that day to you in detail. She lives in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. And in the month of July, on the 23rd, it was a Friday at 2.30, her 11-year-old daughter, Brittany, was playing outside. And I can only imagine the temperature in Pennsylvania in mid-July, right? This is why people move to the Northeast for the summers that are mild and relatively uh, pleasing temperature-wise. So Lisa and her daughter are outside, and Brittany, the 11-year-old, is playing. It's 2.30 in the afternoon, and they hear a rumble of thunder that later they would find out indicated a storm approximately seven miles from their location. Lisa didn't even take note of the rumbling thunder. She allowed Brittany to continue to play. And all of a sudden, literally out of nowhere, a bolt of lightning struck her daughter, Brittany, in the left shoulder, knocking her unconscious. Lisa's worst fears were playing out right before her eyes. She scoops her daughter up, runs her to a hospital. The hospital revives her, and they find out that the only repercussions from being struck by that bolt of lightning on the 23rd of July in 2011 at 2.30 were just a sprained shoulder. I think for a lot of us, we perceive our transition before Christ into Christ, following our immersion in Christ, almost like a lightning bolt. I think there's that thought in our culture that my conversion should be kind of like a lightning strike. And I should just zap, feel it. It should just come out of the middle of nowhere. And from that moment forward, all my struggle. All my double-mindedness, all my doubt, all my fear, all my anxiety, depression, worry, all the sin that I had struggled with before I was immersed into the Lord Jesus Christ just zapped like a bolt of lightning, just gone. But what we see in the story of our dear friend Jonah is at least for him, it took a couple of lightning strikes before he really gets it. What do you mean by that, Trent? Well, look, this guy was in the middle of the ocean inside of a fish. The word used to describe the animal in which he was in is not a whale, it's a fish. This was a huge, gigantic fish. Some historians actually think that because he spent three days in the stomach acid of the fish when he got out and went to Nineveh, his skin was probably bleached white. So he looked like a ghost. And so he gets to Nineveh, this city of 600,000 people, 120,000 as we're going to see in the fourth chapter, that don't know their right hand from their left, probably children. And so in a city of 600,000 people, here comes this guy that smells like vomit, whose skin is bleached white because he's been in the belly of a fish for three days, telling them the message of God and the need for their repentance. So if the first lightning strike was the belly of a fish, the second is waltzing into Nineveh, the greatest city and the greatest nation of Assyria at that point in time, and the people doing something incredible. In the third chapter, what do these guys do? They hear this vomit-smelling, bleach-white-skinned guy 
And rather than like throw the guy in prison or give the guy a bath, they put on sackcloth and ashes and they repent. That's one of the most incredible transitions I think we read in all of Scripture. If you're not careful, you miss that in Jonah chapter 3. A pagan nation, vicious against its enemies, hears the testimony of this one guy and are obedient to that message. To me, that's the second lightning bolt. And the third is something that we're going to see here in this story. Jonah's own personal junk that's kind of corrupting his way of thinking causes him to basically pout. And he crawls up to a place where he can see the city of Nineveh and this cool, like, flowery gourd thing grows over the top of him. And then God uses that to teach him another lesson. For me, that's the third lightning bolt. And so what I see in Jonah as I read these four chapters of the story is that time and time again, Jonah's getting, boom, zapped by God, if I could use that terminology, and yet he consistently struggles to find how to live in accordance with God's plan for his own life. You know that this is also one of the only prophets mentioned in the New Testament by the Lord Jesus Christ and is the only one that Jesus actually mentions by name? And isn't that interesting that the reality of our God catch this all is all about God using somebody that really by our own accounts and standards is a failure and I think that's just it church we might fail God time and again but God himself never ever fails and what we're going to see by the end of the story is that I believe in the life of Jonah and in the city of Nineveh God's success reigns supreme let's get to our text I'm going to read to you from Jonah the fourth chapter there are just 11 verses I'm going to start here in verse 1, and again, if you've got to do a Bible drill or look up your table of contents, at this moment I give you permission to do that. Only four chapters in the midst of the thousands of pages of uh, Scripture. It may be hard to find. Don't be shy. We were all there at some point. And shame on you if you're looking around thinking, I, I got there faster than this guy. Because <laughs> next I'm going to ask you to turn to Obadiah, right? Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now Lord, take away my life, for it is better to me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city where he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. The Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. He said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. 
But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? So here is Jonah in the midst of his own self-pity. And one way that Jonah fails God, I think some things that I want to focus on, there, there is a source of shame within Jonah that until he gets a handle on, he will have a difficulty aligning his behaviors with the mandate God has placed upon his life. And for Jonah, as far as I'm concerned, that shame should eventually transition into a source of major sorrow. The things that Jonah is thinking and acting as a result of should be things that in retrospect cause him pain and sorrow deep within his soul because he has held these particular ideals. And what we're going to see at the end of the story is that the source of our success and Jonah's is the sovereignty and great mercy of our God. So let's look at, at, at Jonah's shame. What, what exactly does Jonah have in his life that he should be ashamed of? Let me read the first couple of verses again to you. I'm going to catch verses 1 and 3. But, Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. That's verse 1. Skipping a verse into verse 3. Now, Lord, he says, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Let me give you some background here. Jonah is, at this point, we could easily say, a racist. He's a nationalist. Jonah does not want to see the kingdom of Assyria, particularly the city of Nineveh, redeemed. Now, those of us here in this story, we, we want to get really Pharisaic. And, and when the woman caught in adultery is standing before us, we want to cast the first stone. Lots of us would feel compelled to cast a stone at Jonah at this moment in time. But before we do that, let's look at some backstory. There's another minor prophet in Scripture by the name of Amos. Don't turn there, and I'm not going to give you too much background for the sake of time. But in Amos chapter 6, verse 14, he is prophesying pretty hard against the northern kingdom of Israel. God's people were divided at this point into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Some prophets in Scripture prophesied to the southern kingdom and some to the northern kingdom. Amos was one who prophesied to the northern kingdom and likely was a contemporary of Jonah. Amos in chapter 6 verse 14, he says, The Lord God Almighty declares, I will stir up a nation against you, Israel, that will oppress you all the way from Lebo Hamath to the valley of Arabah. What Amos is saying is, God is raising up Israel a world power. And this will be a power greater than any you have come up before. And this power will certainly overthrow you. And Amos has alluded to this before this point in Scripture, that the nation God is rising up is Assyria. So the Israelites were aware that the Assyrians at some point were going to overthrow them. Let me take you to 2 Kings Chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. Then the king of Assyria invaded the whole land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile and settled them in Haleb Habor on the river of Gozan and in the cities 
of the Medes. So here we see the, the prophecy from the prophet Amos eventually fulfilled in 2 Kings. Jonah would have been alive right kind of as all this is beginning to come to a, a boiling point. So God says, hey, Jonah, you know that nation that has been coming to power and that's hostile against your people, the northern kingdom of Israel? And Jonah's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, I know those guys. And I have to think that Jonah is like me at that point. And he's waiting for God to say, you and me, Jonah, we're going in Samson style, baby. Grab you a, doll, a, a jawbone of a donkey. Grab some huge shield. You're going to take all these guys out. I'm like, yes, Rambo, first blood. We're going in. Me and you, God. And God's like, hey, Jonah, you know what I want you to do to these guys? I'm, like, I, I'm thinking Jonah's like, yeah, I know what you want me to do, God. And God's like, Jonah, I want you to go, and I want you to try to turn these people to repentance. And Jonah's got to be thinking, God, these are the guys, what? These are the guys that you're raising up to destroy the northern kingdom. And you want me to go and, and preach repentance? And God said, yes. Yes, I do. And so what we see play out in the story, Jonah's flee to Tarshish, and then his response to, to the repentance that the Ninevites show God based on the message of Jonah is about this phenomenon that this is the nation that is not, not very long after this point going to overthrow the Israelite kingdom. And so Jonah speaks and preaches repentance to these guys and he is grieved that they've actually repented and turned towards God. Jonah was a guy who, who suffered from nationalism. He couldn't see God's plan beyond his own comprehension of the nation in which he existed. I think Jonah was, suffered from legalism. If it wasn't done according to Jonah's plan, to the way he thought it should have been done, based on his own traditions, then it wasn't right, even if it was coming from God. We got nationalism in Jonah, we got legalism in Jonah, we got favoritism in Jonah. And the truth of the matter is, church, as you're assessing your life against the life and the lifestyle of Jonah, that God has no place in his kingdom for any of your isms. Isms are all about I, Trent, and not at all about the I am. God has a plan for Israel. In 2 Samuel 7, God says, I'm going to keep a Davidic king on the throne forever. In the book of Joshua, God says, none of my, Joshua says, none of the promises God have made us have, have ever failed. The Israelites knew that God had a plan. Jonah would have known this. But because of his isms, he put God in a box and experienced misery because of it. Shame on him for confusing his isms with the I am. And that's some of what, some of us are going through some of that same stuff in our own life. Hey, don't mess with my tradition. Don't mess with my point of view. Don't mess with the way I want to do things or how we've been doing it or don't change too much too fast. Why don't you practice the discipline of surrender, church, and defer to God the plan for your life and your church and your community and your state and this nation and surrender all that to a person who is so much more capable 
and so much more qualified and who already has a plan laid out than trying to assume responsibility for all of this stuff. That's what Jonah's isms were ultimately about. God, not your plan, but mine. Not that nation, but mine. Not those traditions, but mine, Lord. And God's saying, no way, I've got something way bigger going on here. And if you're at a threshold of growth in your walk, you need to check your isms and surrender those to the Lord God. The second thing I want to talk about is that a lot of Jonah's problem was that he was completely out of focus in his own life. And I think this should be the source of sorrow for Jonah. Let me, let me read a verse here to you, a couple of verses that I think really illustrate what I believe should have been Jonah's source of sorrow. Here we see a sorrow played out in Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen in the city. What is Jonah focused on? Well, one thing he's focused on is his own plan. Jonah wanted to Rambo first blood the city of Nineveh. And God says, I want to go in, in there. I want you to go in there. And I want you to speak truth, repentance, and love to these guys. And it didn't correspond with his plan. Jonah's focus was off. It was on his plan and not God's. Jonah's focus at this moment, church, was on his pain. Hear me. Have you ever been really hurt by somebody? And obviously, I don't want to show of hands right here, but has there ever been anybody in your life that caused you more pain than you thought you could bear? Well, for Jonah, that would have kind of been the Ninevites, the Assyrians. I have to imagine every day as Jonah woke up, he looked at his family and he, and he looked at his friends and his neighborhood, and he thought to himself, man, someday and someday soon, this is coming to an end. And that likely grieved him. And God does something with Jonah's enemy that Jonah doesn't like. Has that happened to you before? And so Jonah just sits back and looks at his pain rather than on God's promises. God's promise in Jeremiah 29, 11 that he's got a plan for you. A plan to prosper you, not to harm you, to bring a hope-filled future. God's all, already said to you, church, he'll never leave you or forsake you. That if your load gets heavy, he wants you to cast your load upon him and learn of him. For his burden is easy and his yoke is light. He wants to give you the strength for your journey. But what you've got to do as you're trying to live in accordance with God's promises and his plan is not keep your eye on the pain. Jonah sits there and is focused on his source of pain and he misses God's plan and the promises of God. And if you're out there and somebody's hurt you and it seems like those people that have caused you pain are being blessed, remember that God's plan is bigger than anything you can imagine. And the same God who said he'll bring about your prosperity and that you'll never be alone and that if your burden ever gets heavy, he'll help you carry it, is walking with you even through this. Eventually here, a gourd comes up and covers Jonah, and he's glad about that. And I want to I illustrate for you the difference between gladness and gratitude. As far as Jonah's concerned, his gladness about this vine that is now overshadowing him is very superficial. Oh Lord God, thank you that you've relieved my discomfort, but God, I can't imagine how 
you would relieve the comfort of hundreds of thousands of people. How does that make sense? But what we see now is that as a result of Jonah's isms, his eyes have been completely shielded from God and are totally turned inward. And when his life is easier or when his life is more simple or when things go according to his plan, he can feel glad. But when God's plan is manifesting itself right before his eyes, he's sorrowful about that. And any time our focus is on us and not our creator, we're going to fall victim to misery. And now here's where the enemy really can get us as a result of this. When I'm sitting in church and I'm fellowshipping with brethren and I'm praying and I'm reading my Bible but I'm still self-centered, I'm going to be miserable. But who am I going to tend to ascribe fault to for my misery? Not me. I'm thinking I'm going to church. I'm reading Bible. I'm fellowshipping. I'm not doing any Rambo first blood stuff. I mean, I'm really trying to get this. But because we're so self-centered and selfish and thinking about us, we're living in misery. And that's not about God, church. That's about you. And so as Jonah's sitting up here on this hillside, looking at this city, waiting to see what happens, he's miserable. What ends up happening, man? This, this vine starts to wither. God brings up a, 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 a really intense heat and a wind and a worm to destroy Jonah's little temporary relief from the elements. And now he's frustrated. This is like uh, cr the crying over spilled milk phenomenon. Here I'm crying over a withered plant, but there's a withered city in front of me that I can't find compassion for. We don't have the end of the story, but I really do think uh, as this story were to unfold, Jonah would have seen the error in his ways. And there are some of you under the sound of my voice that have been living according to this kind of a philosophy for a long time. I want it my way, not God's way. I want it the way that makes me feel the best that redeems me against my enemies. I don't want them to have redemption. God, please make me the source of all that is good in the world. And don't, don't, don't for one second, God, let your plan interfere with what my plan is. And then when things go differently than I want them to go, I'm crying over spilled milk. Let's look at the source of our success and the source ultimately of what I believe Jonah's success could be. In verse 11, God says this, Should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? And we look at this story from beginning to end and doesn't it seem like Jonah is the hero here? Man, he's the guy that was in the belly of the whale and got out and went to the city and did this deed that God asked him to do and it took him days just to walk through the city and proclaim this and man wasn't Jonah's message effective that all these Ninevites did indeed repent and put on sackcloth and ashes and turn their hearts to the Lord and they even fasted a pagan nation man how awesome Jonah but what we see is that the true superhero in the book of Jonah just like the true superhero in the entirety of Scripture is God our Father this is the same God who makes the storm rise up as Jonah is fleeing from his plan. 
This is the same God that calms the storm once the people on the boat are obedient to God's plan. This is the same God who prepared a fish to eat Jonah. This is the same God who helped Jonah survive in the belly of that fish three days. This is the same God who uses the message of a disobedient man to transform the hearts of a pagan, vicious nation. This is the same God who, even after Jonah's repeated failure, is still pursuing him. The superhero of the story is God. And maybe your isms or maybe your uh, tendency to want to stick with your own plan has again and again and again led to you failing in some area of your spiritual walk. The good news is God is a pursuer of imperfect people. Amen. And maybe even the better news is God's compassion goes beyond even our comprehension. And there are lots of times by Trent's own standard, I should have been disqualified for, from doing anything cool for God. And because of God's great compassion, he's given me opportunities beyond the wildest I could have even comprehended. And some of you out there have been Christians for a long time and doing things your way and it's been really comfortable. And God is saying to you this morning, get all of that junk behind you and get a little bit uncomfortable for me and let me help you work my plan. Or maybe you've been somebody like me who struggled with sin and junk a long time and you're right here this morning after some huge major failure. Man, if that's you, guess what? God never abandoned Jonah. God kept on and kept on and kept on pursuing him. And God's going to keep pursuing you. God helped Jonah redeem a 600,000 person city, the most powerful city and the most powerful nation on earth at this time. And again and again and again, God tried to raise up Jonah and over and over he failed. Your failures aren't the reason God can't use you. It's your fear. And if you'll one day choose to surrender that over to God, church, he'll look upon you favorably, although you might be someone who you would even overlook. Moses was a murderer. So was the Apostle Paul. These are two guys that wrote most of Scripture as we have it. Isaac, Jacob, those guys were liars, cheaters, thieves. All of these people are guys God tended to use to bring about his purposes in their lives and over the history of his own people. What does that mean? As, as strongly as I can emphasize it, that means God wants to use you. He wants to use you, sir, to help rebuild your marriage. He wants to use you, ma'am, to parent those children better than anybody on the planet could. God chose you for those kids. Whatever it is that you're up against, you're the perfect person, not because of your perfections, but because you serve a God who is perfect and sovereign, who can use even a guy like Jonah to bring about his plan. I don't know what you might be struggling with today, but I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're listening online. Maybe you're in Ireland or you're in Kansas or, or you're somewhere on the other side of the globe that I don't even know. 
Maybe you're here this morning under the sound of my voice. This is the first time you've walked in a church in a long time. Maybe you're a regular here, and God bless you if you are. You're my family. I love what I get to do. If I could do anything on the planet, it would be this, to get to communicate to people that I love about a God that I love more than anything in life. And man, if you're here and you've been here for a long time and it's your isms, it's your focus on you, it's wanting to do things your way that's held you back, whatever the need in your life might be, whatever you're coming from this morning, these guys are going to sing a verse of a song and while they do, I want you to take this opportunity to come forward. Let us pray with you. Be baptized into Christ today or just get obedient. Maybe for the first time in a long time. While they pray, take this opportunity. from heaven said to Listen to him. 
gotta listen to him. Listen to him. Oh, 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 oh. listen to him. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah talking there with Jesus. A cloud enveloped them. Terrified. The disciples faced down to the ground. Looked up and the only one they found was Jesus. Glorified. Glorified. This is my son. My Become my friend. Oh. 
boundaries have no end and Lord Yeshua what a great love can do by being there for my pursuit and Lord I give all I can I shall live so Lord oh Lord I just want to thank you I just want to thank you for coming for coming to my rescue you come to my rescue you come to my rescue to my With every breath gonna let you know Nothing like this, I'm complete. 
church family, Peter is coming this morning, and he said, Trent, you know, I've, I've, I was baptized as an infant, and I had an eclectic religious background, but he said, now I really understand, and I'm ready for the Spirit to help me through all the stuff in life that I'm dealing with. So, Peter, I'm proud of you. From this day forward, who's going to be Lord and Savior of your life? And just think, I almost closed us out.